Hi, welcome to It's Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Gina Monaco, mortgage broker and team lead at TMG The Mortgage Group. I'm excited to share this podcast with you. Each session, we'll be interviewing industry leaders to bring you insights into the housing market and how your mortgage is impacted. We'll also be reviewing a variety of different mortgage products. We'll be talking about credit, interest rates, the economy. We'll be discussing the mortgage regulations and how they impact consumers. So enjoy. Ryan, welcome back. Thanks for jumping on the show again. I was going to mention, I noticed, of course, immigration is a highly Mm. contentious topic. Yes. And recently there has been an Oxford reference that has been popping up in the mainstream media taken from a recent National Bank special report calling it the population trap. Mm. And it's a situation where no increase in living standards is possible because the population is growing so fast that all available savings are needed to maintain the existing capital labor ratio. And it also goes on to state that this is the position of some less developed countries. Obviously, Canada is not a less developed country, but what's your take on this uh, this new buzzword that has kind of picked up and uh, and what it really entails, if I'm not sure if you're familiar yes. um, with it recently. So it's, it's interesting you brought that up. Last week when, when we were doing this, we spoke about uh, data and how data can be a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, uh, I hate to use the word manipulated, but, you know, massaged and maneuvered to, to suit a narrative. One of the great things I love is the GDP report. Uh, for those that don't know, I mean, GDP stands for gross domestic product. Very simply, it's the value of all goods and services produced in the country. And, uh, you know, last year, the, the GDP report was coming out and they said, oh, you know, our GDP grew by 0.3%. Great. Everybody says, oh, well, we're, we're producing more than we did last quarter. That's fantastic. But then you go. And, and so that data made it look like Canada was growing. Uh, unfortunately, we added over a million new uh, residents to Canada in 2023. So the GDP per capita, uh, again, there's another data set, was actually decreasing, which means people got a smaller slice of a slightly bigger pie, but they ended up with less. Like and it, it kind of leads, again, so be careful what data you're looking at and what, what numbers you're looking at, but it leads into the immigration piece because immigration uh, and don't get me wrong, Canada needs immigration. We, we benefit from immigration. Uh, but sometimes there can be too much of a good thing. And yeah, Canada is in an immigration trap right now. Yeah, We I, don't I, I have the resources, the healthcare, the infrastructure or the housing to support all the people that we're bringing in. And, you know, it really pains me to see that there's people coming that were sold a dream and are ending up living in a tent city because they can't afford it. And it's something that yeah. I, I don't care which side of the political spectrum you sit on. We need a solution to this and we needed it yesterday. And, yeah. you know, this is going to require Canadian citizens. It's going to require business leaders and it's going to require government to come together, put partisan politics aside and come up with a solution. Because yeah. if this continues, it, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I saw the uh, the supply deficit is at a new record low of uh, one housing start for every 4.2 people entering the working age population compared to the historical average of 1.8. Well, if you look at the the amount of homes that CMHC says we need to build and you do some very quick math, uh, because CMHC, and I forget the exact number, but they said by 2030, we need this many houses. You figure it out, the number of days between now and 2030, we have to complete almost 1,600 homes a day, coast to coast. 
We're uh, completing about 400 homes per day, coast to coast. Math being math, that, that doesn't math at all. And, and again, <laughs> we need solutions to this. And for too long, there's been the blame game. Uh, the feds blame the province. The province blames the municipalities. Municipality blames the feds. Everybody blames the rich. And it, it, quite frankly, it, it doesn't matter why. All that matters is we need to bring people to the table that have some constructive ideas and we figure out a path forward to solve the problem. I think this is a kind of speaks to how highly politicized the things have become. You know, in the end, I think, um, to your point, based on the numbers, policymakers really need to go beyond uh, just focusing on the housing supply and take other avenues to to the policies that um, that affect everything. Well, you know, here in Canada, the issue I think we have too that we have to remember, and I, I think I'd mentioned it in a post I did recently. You've got a good chunk of the population that wants to see lower house prices so they can afford to get into the housing market. But for every single person that wants a lower house price to get into the market, there's an existing homeowner that doesn't want a lower price because that money's coming out of their pocket. Yeah. And when you look at what's Canada's uh, ownership rate, 65, 68%, yeah, you know, almost great. seven in 10 people would, uh, would want the same or higher house prices as opposed to lower house prices. So. Uh, it, it gets a little bit sticky and you know, all of a sudden we've got 20 people in the boat and 14 of them are rowing in the opposite direction where we're trying to go. Right. Do, do you think uh, what's ahead it, it will be increased defaults and, and things like that? Do you think it's uh... um Yeah, I, I quite often get accused of being a bad news bears situation and, and uh, you know, walking around you? with this, you know, <laughs> oh my goodness, the sky is falling. And I don't think the sky is falling. But I think Canadian real estate's in for a tough, tough five to 10 year period. No matter what the realtors and mortgage agents and all the people that are real estate holders say con uh, contrarian to that, I, I think it's gonna be a bit of a tough slog ahead. Yeah, I mean, similar, I mean, I imagine if we look back late, late 80s, early 90s, um, and, and you know, people argue this all the time because we know wages haven't increased proportionally to the rise of the of housing prices, mm -hmm. but uh, you know it. It still, and if we're talking about housing as a as a human right, owning property, it has always been something that takes sacrifice, uh, a little bit of dedication, yeah. and, uh, and and something that you need to save, work hard towards, and um, and so I'm not too sure how I feel on that uh, that statement there. Well, un unfortunately, um, I, I don't think, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we've come down this 25%. We've turned the corner. Things are going to get better from here. And, and I, I vehemently disagree with that. And people say, well, why? Why just, you know, why do you think you're right? Well, I mean, we're all out our own opinions. But unfortunately, there hasn't been enough pain yet. And, and it sounds really bad to say it. But, you know, these types of corrections require people to feel pain. It requires mass evictions. It requires mass foreclosures. You know, until I see every newspaper every day for three months straight running a story about another family being tossed from their home, evicted by the county sheriff, the bank taking the place repo, the bank losing money, the government stepping in to help stem banking losses from their real estate portfolio, we're not there. And and I, I don't want 
viewers to misinterpret this. I'm not wishing for people to be evicted from their homes. Of course. But you need, pain is how people remember things and how people stop repeating things. The reason we don't stick a fork in an electrical outlet is because it hurts like hell. We learn from that and we don't do it again. There has not been enough pain in real estate to offset all the gains that were made in the last, uh, well, I mean, really 10 years, but it's really gone nuts since 20, the end of 2020. We need to see more pain for that to, for people to really remember that. I spent a lot of time in the US post 2008, picking up pieces of their housing disaster in, in 2008, 2009. And I remember, you know, the communities and I remember the people and I remember the stories and I remember the homes we were looking at. And keep in mind, their housing bubble was not near as bad as Canada's housing bubble is right, or was in, in early 2022. It, it almost needs to get there. And, you know, some of the stories would just would, would just tug on your heartstrings, but we need that to happen for it to clear the backlog in the inventory and get homes back to a more reasonable thing. You know, your, your, your home should not be a financial hedge strategy. It should be a place where you raise your family. With that said, do you think that Canada is on the same path to what had happened in the U.S. in, in 2008? So the, the curveball and all that are is different. will the market be allowed to clear itself or will there be government intervention? If the free market, you know, the, is allowed to clear the excess is on its own, then yes. If you get, and, and I think people need to really understand that it's usually government intervention that causes the bigger problem. It's delayed. Well, it just delays it and really <laughs> blows it up. Um, you know, if you're feeling bad and you go out and get drunk, you feel real good for a while, but the hangover is just worse. And that's yeah. kind of a great analogy for Canadian housing. For about two weeks in 2020, I was extremely hopeful that we'd sort of corrected some of the sins of the housing market because everything shut down in March and all of a sudden people were saving money. They were clipping coupons again. People were scared. They were panicked. <laughs> and I went, That's great. Right. We're That's finally right. going to clear the excess of the last 10, 12 years since 2008 out of this housing market. This is fantastic. And then the government came in and basically, you know, announced that we're just going to give out money. And then yeah. everybody just started buying things with reckless abandon. And so, didn't really fix anything. It just delayed the inevitable, which is where we're at now. Um, now, again, I, I'm not criticizing the government. I mean, what we knew back then versus what we know now was a lot different. But sure. we really need to let the market function here. We, we don't need the, you know, I think it was Richard Nixon that said, you know, the, the eight worst words in the English language are, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. And, <laughs> you know, uh, Kind of goes hand in hand with the there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. We need that to stop and we need to let the market function. We need to have, you know, a willing buyer, a willing seller with a properly advertised on MLS house. And we need to let those prices clear and reset. It's yeah. no different than the stock market. You know, when, when a company's in trouble and the stock, you know, the stock starts going down, the government doesn't generally stop, step in and say, hey, we need to stop this. Um, right. You could argue there's a difference between housing and the stock market just from housing a, a, should be a human right. But it's not in Canada anymore because we turned it into the stock market. That's a good point. It really seems like the, the landscape has, has changed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a long, a long a bit of a process for uh, societal shifts and, and what, what the way we, we view things. It was highly amplified during that pandemic. And I feel like we've 
we're not quite recovered to your point and where things should be uh, just quite yet. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you were at the bank. I mean, we were in finance this whole time and the number of uh, clients that we ran across that said, oh, I did that, uh, that $60,000 loan from the government for my business and I went out and bought a cottage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, A, <laughs> A, that was not what the loan was for. B, yeah. um, how much demand was falsely created because of that, you know, on yeah. top of, and I mean, you start to look in, uh, up in Northern Ontario at some of these Muskoka and cottage country. I mean, everybody wanted a cottage in 2020 and the prices yeah. were beyond yeah. ridiculous. And now like there's some of them that are taking 50% haircuts because again, you had massive demand just because nobody could travel. So they all had to stay within Ontario. And you had a whole bunch of free money sloshing around the system, right? Yeah. I'm sure five, 10 years from now, you know, National Bank or CIBC or one of the big banks will put out a paper and it'll say, you know, house prices increased by 10% because of SIBA loans or something. But we don't know the number <laughs> now, but it, it'll be interesting. To all in all in cottage country. People <laughs> sold their homes. The people I was working with at the time, they sold their, their primary residence and they moved out to a cottage so far. And now they're like, come back, come back to the yeah. office. <laughs> How many people bought a place in an outlying area because they could work from home forever? Yeah, yeah. We really lost sight of that. It comes to show how uh, how far we could project into the future. <laughs> and again, you know, people tend to assume things that suit their preformed narrative that, that's a good thing. Um, you know, I never once thought East or West Gwillimberry Township would be the new Toronto, but a lot of people did and they bought homes there and now they're taking a bath on them. Uh, Orangeville's yeah. nice and all. And if you're, you know, if you're listening to this from Orangeville, I mean no offense by this, but it's certainly not Toronto. And, you know, we had people buying and bidding up these places incredibly fast. Uh, I'm, I'm from London and, you know, London was always that sort of 2% increase a year, no matter what. It was always an old money town. It was very conservative by nature. And, you know, recession, depression, boom times didn't matter. London went up two, 3% a year like clockwork. And all of a sudden we were seeing 25 and 30 and 35% increases in 12 months. Wow. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. There's a there's one thing that you had mentioned last week that I was uh, interested in, and you mentioned that you don't like the three year term. Why is that? Uh, well, <laughs> why don't I like the three year term? So right now, so <laughs> I, I'm I'm trying to be nice to our industry partners here um, without you know because I understand my <laughs> audience a little bit, but um, banks I think are front running yields right now. And, you know, there's this big thing out there that three years from now, everything will be fixed and everything will be better and rates will be down and blah, blah, blah. And I think banks are padding. I mean, if you look at the spread right now, banks are padding the three year like nothing I've ever seen before. And so I generally tend to lean away from products where banks have the most spread. That's fair. Um, That's fair. Unfortunately, in, in lending, it's a zero sum game. So if the bank is making money, you're losing that money, right? Like there's no way the bank can save you a dollar without taking it out of their direct profit. So wherever <laughs> they are creating the most profit means you're probably losing the most money or cash flow. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, thought process. Okay, on that topic, um, there's no shortage of talk around interest rates uh, dropping. What, is, what are your predictions uh, when it comes to the interest rate market and uh, how that might impact 
uh, the future of Canada's real estate. Uh, yeah, so you know, like, like I said last week, uh, you know, predictions. People say, well, I think rates are going to go down, and that's such an open-ended thing. Uh, rates could go down by one basis point, and I could claim victory. Um, <laughs> right now, pretty much everybody knows; they just know for certain that rates are coming down in the spring. Uh, and again, that when everybody knows something, it's probably you might want to start looking at some other sides of that that equation. Um, back in December, uh, I, I did a blog post, and I said. Rates may not come down as fast or as much as you think. And in fact, some of the fixed terms could actually creep up. Uh, and I've never seen so much hate mail come into my, uh, my, my blog uh, box in my life. And everybody told me why I was wrong and why it couldn't happen. And here we are, you know, middle or end of January and, and the five-year yields are up 30 basis points. Um, so I think rates, you know, in Canada, I, I think they will come down. But not as much as everybody expects and not as fast as everybody expects. Uh, the January inflation print was a little hot. We've got a lot of geopolitical things going on that will probably add to inflation rather than detract from inflation. That, I think, is going to keep the Bank of Canada on the sidelines for, for longer than people may think. I also don't think the Bank of Canada will be dropping rates because of economics, but it'll probably be an outside event. You know, for example, during COVID, uh, you know, that we dropped interest rates because it was an existential threat on the economy. I think it'll be that that causes an interest rate reduction of any meaning. Um, not to say the bank doesn't trim 25 basis points here or there. But um, I, I, again, I think rates are going to be a lot higher and stickier than people would like and then people can afford. You know, we, we also have to remember that, you know, the people that are coming out of 159, 179 coming up to this renewal cliff, yeah, if rates come down from five and a quarter to five, well, yeah, that's down technically, but is it down enough to help the people that are coming from that really low fixed rate? Probably not. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I feel not. like that's a that's a part of the discussion that uh, tends to get overlooked, and I'm seeing I'm seeing that in a lot of realtor conversations and comments, and in the end, it's you know, can people afford it? We have the higher cost of living in 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 general. Um, it's not just your your mortgage interest, right? It's not just your monthly mortgage that's uh, that's weighing down on your financial situation. And I think more my my bigger sort of prediction on something for this year, I don't think it's going to be interest rates that are going to be one of the bigger factors. Uh, I think it's just going to be things like property taxes, for example. Uh, you know, last week uh, or two weeks ago now, I guess it was, we saw Toronto say, "Hey, taxes got to go up sixteen percent." Um, you're seeing a lot of municipalities that are raising mill rates by you know eight, ten, twelve, fourteen percent. And that's even before assessed values get get factored in. So keep in mind, MPAC in Ontario, uh, specific to Ontario, didn't reassess in 2020 because of COVID. They didn't reassess in 2021, 2022, or 2023, which means this year, we effectively have eight years of property tax increases assessed into our current property value that we're paying taxes on. And six of those eight years were some pretty good years. You could realistically see people's taxes double in the next four to five years. So someone that's paying, you know, seven thousand a year now could easily be looking at fourteen thousand, and I think that's going to be, you know, as interest rates maybe start to come down and you start to get some relief there, that four or five hundred dollars a month you're saving on your interest rate is just going to go to pay your property taxes. Just a wash. Exactly. So <laughs> be careful what you wish for, I guess, and um, yeah. you know, also be careful who you listen to, right? Yeah, it's a good. That's good. I actually I wasn't aware of that. I, I didn't take that into consideration. 
with the uh, the property uh, assessments with uh, um, impact. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, we're a little bit over time. Ryan, thank you so much thank for you. joining us today. And we hope to see you again. Uh, for anybody who wants to follow Ryan, subscribe to his blog, what's the best way that they can do that for you? They can just go to mortgageramblings.com and click subscribe. It's free to join. Perfect. I highly recommend it, especially if you are another agent or broker. Thank you so much for your time and we look forward to uh, speaking with you again. Thanks for having me. Before you go, I need some help. Please subscribe to this channel to help grow our followers so we can reach more consumers with valuable information regarding all things mortgage related. You can also listen to the audio broadcast, link is below. You can visit our team website for more information, link is also below. Thanks so much for watching.